You're listening to Filling the Storehouse Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Stuart. And we want to walk with you on the journey to living the abundant life through faith, family, and freedom. Our goal is to refine our why while helping you find yours. Together, achieve our best and highest purpose. In the end, we'll drive each other to intentionally fill our storehouse. All right. Hey, Stu. uh, Yeah. I know you normally start and you know Jerry and Steve better, but I just want to highlight uh, Mm. before we hit record, unprompted by me in any way. We already hit record. We already hit record. No, before you hit record. Oh. As we're recording now. Okay, gotcha. This is a great start. This is a great start, yeah. Stu. So before you hit record, unprompted by me, Jerry said, if there are any excellent questions, I'm just going to assume that you wrote them, David. I just <laughs> want to throw that out there. Something else that uh, Steve said was the three of us, myself, Jerry, and Steve, we all got married in August. Um, and so that could be the secret to a long-lasting marriage. I'm just saying. Now, when, did you, when did you get married, David? I was married in June, oh, June yeah. 2008. Oh, well, you know. Eesh. At least yeah, I, I'm at 14 years. You guys are both at 41. So yeah. I think uh, this is going to be an awesome conversation. Yeah. Uh, so, Jerry, Steve, hey, thanks for joining us today. This is Felina Storehouse Podcast. And um, for, for our audience, Jerry and Steve are a part of my accountability group inside uh, the Life and Air um, Mastermind. And we meet uh, every other week on a Monday morning, and, and we we d- dive into you know what our goals are, what we have planned, what we want to do, and then we hold each other accountable to it. And we've had amazing conversations. And what I've come to find out is these two men are amazing husbands. Uh, they have been both married for forty-one years, going strong. Um, and I just thought this would be a really fun conversation, really more so just for, for David and I uh, to learn uh, what we can do uh, to continue our marriage and be successful to get to 41 years and plus. Wow, right? amazing husbands. I'm glad you don't have our wives on here. Talking yeah, that's right. Well, well I'm, I'm going to be sure. Room. Hopefully she's not hearing any of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to dive into all of your secrets. But first, if you could, uh, Jerry, you start. Just give a little background about uh, who you are, where you are, and, and what you do, please. You bet. Um, well, well, for um, starters, when Susan and I got married, um, I was still in college, and she had graduated with an associate's degree. Uh, but uh, we, we met when we were 16 years old. Uh, Susan had been 16 for 10 days, and her parents didn't allow her to date till she turned 16. <laughs> And it was about four or five years before her parents were happy with that decision. They were <laughs> questioning whether or not they had, uh, she had just grabbed the first guy that come along. Oh, um, no. I definitely married out of my class. Uh, but we met right after Susan turned 16. We're, we're essentially the same age, but I'm a few months older than her. Uh, when we got married in August, I was 20 and she was 19. So one of the keys to being married 41 years is getting married young. You know, I know that doesn't sound like advice that people generally give, you know? but if you uh, if you wait till you're 35 to get married, you got to live to 75 to be married 40 years. Jerry, so, I, I'm uh, not going to let my daughter listen to this because yeah, I don't want my daughter being married at 19. Yeah, because, you know, Susan was married at 19. A couple months later, she was 20. Um, so uh, but but uh, and and one of my uh, key factors too which is it's too late for you guys and for all the guys in your mastermind who've been married eight or ten years but one of my key pieces of advice when i speak to young men is to choose wisely to to put a lot of thought into because susan and i did date for almost four years before we got married even though we met so young uh but uh we have um we have been a partnership throughout that but it's uh and 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 our life has changed so dramatically i'll get into some more of that but we we met young and i'm pretty sure steve and diane have the same kind of angle because we're about the same age <laughs> and b- before we go to steve i'm curious do you uh jerry is, is there anything specific that you would recommend as people are courting and and some of the conversations they have, right? Some of the some of the you know, because it's it's great. You're it's the romance and and you're buying the flowers and all the. And I'm sure you guys do all this stuff still, just like you were when you were a teenager. But but what are some of the things like practically talk about? Do you do you, do you encourage counseling? Do you encourage like what? How, how do you 
How do you uh, yeah. specifically encourage people to do it? Yeah, there there were there were two huge things, a lot of small things, but two huge things that Susan and I talked a lot about when we were dating. Um, we we grew up in a small town, uh, different small towns, but uh, she, she grew up in a town of five thousand people, which was the county seat. Uh, I grew up on the outskirts of a town of two hundred people that was in that uh, town. So, but but. Uh, Susan had absolutely no desire to keep living in that part of the country and around there. And, and neither of us had a really great high school experience. We both were picked on as kids. And so she absolutely wanted to move away. So if I had been gung-ho on wanting to live in my hometown, it wouldn't have worked out for us. So where you want to live, and not necessarily where you're going to live in your first apartment, but long-term, what are your ambitions for life and where do you want to live? I think was a key thing that we talked about before. And then probably the biggest thing we talked about was kids. And uh, and Susan's ambition was to be a mom. You know, some, some people have different things they're shooting for in their life, different career goals, whatever, but she's known all along, being a mom was what she wanted. And uh, my dad was sick from the time I was very young. When I was in sixth grade, he uh, had to go to the hospital in an ambulance. And from then, until he passed away when I was a senior in high school, I ran the family farm and, and dad was able to help some, but was sick. And I, and, and my dad's illnesses were all complications from diabetes and diabetes is hereditary. And it especially is hereditary in that it skips a generation more. So it's far more likely that my kids are going to have diabetes than that I am. And uh, I didn't want to have kids. I don't want to pass that on. And, and now I'm dating a woman whose life ambition is to have kids. So it's kind of important to, to get on the same page there. And, and both through talking to her and through talking to another friend of mine who, whose dad also is a diabetic, he kind of put it in this perspective is, you know, just because diabetes is hereditary and the complications that go along with it are, uh, you kind of leave that in God's hands. If you're supposed to have kids, you're supposed to have kids. And, uh, and so I, I decided that I was okay with having kids, thrilled that I did. We have two boys we love very much, and we have two grandgirls who are the light of our life, and uh, I'm so glad that I gave on that one, but, uh, but talking about where we want to live and whether or not we want to have kids are critical. You can't, you can't survive not agreeing on those. That's good. That's good. That's great. Steve? Yeah, well, uh, probably a pre-story before meeting my wife. Uh, I started off on the wrong foot in high school dating the bad girl. You know, she was pretty. Uh, she said all the right things. Kind of got me going. But, you know, my mom and dad were so worried that I would end up with her because they knew, they could see that she was not the girl for me. And so... Uh, to make a long story short, that relationship ended much to my parents' happiness. And I went to college and I was, I grew up poor. So I was focused on making a lot of money because I grew up in a small town like Jerry did and we didn't have a lot of money. And so I said, I'm going to college. I'm going to focus on accounting. I'm going to become a CPA. I'm going to get hired by one of the national big public accounting firms. And I don't really care to date or find anybody till I get out and get my career established. Well, that's my freshman year. Diane is two grades ahead of me. So she's a junior and I'm a freshman in college. She just so happens to be roommates with my cousin. And my aunt had met Diane on several occasions. And she actually went and spent two weeks with my cousin Debbie one summer between college. And my aunt said, we got to get her in the family. She is an awesome young lady. You got to get her in the family. And so the very first party in college, this was, I was there like three days before classes started. My cousin invited Diane and I separately to a party. And I started talking to Diane. You know, there's 30, 40 people there. And I started talking to Diane. And I'm like, I want to know more about this girl. She has got something that I've, you know, she was totally opposite in some respect. She was beautiful, long hair, all of that. But uh, she had all the attributes, character, good character, had gone to church, was a great person. 
that my first person I fell in love with did not have. And uh, to make a long story short, well, I should tell you this. After that, uh, Diane had been engaged to someone else. And so when she went back to school, all the mature ladies in her life told her, when you go back, you just need to start asking guys out because uh, they, we had a twerp week every semester where the girls asked the guys. And so that's what she did. She had like, uh, on twerp week, she had like five dates lined up and she sat there in the, in the room talking to uh, my cousin. I had hair in those days, wasn't bad looking, you know. And uh, <laughs> she said, well, you need another one? Just ask Steve out. He's freshman, he's harmless, you know, juniors don't fall in love with freshmen. And so I went out with her and I say she fell for me on the first date. That's because we went roller skating and I fell <laughs> yeah. and tripped her and she fell on top of me. <laughs> smooth, smooth. <laughs> it wasn't the smoothest thing, but anyway, to make a long story short, it worked. And uh, we actually got married between my sophomore and junior year, which was not in my plan originally. Uh, but, you know, she graduated, she was teaching and, um, you know, I just felt like, you know, we didn't have enough money to get married, but I just felt like if she graduates and goes home, I'm not going to, someone else is going to pick this girl up. She's just <laughs> and so I kept pursuing her like crazy and we got to a point in our relationship where she wasn't sure she was ready to commit. And I was kind of like a bulldog and just kept going because I knew she's the one I wanted. And, uh, you know, the rest is kind of history. That's how we got married. Uh, we went through some things that, uh, you know, speaking of children, this is one of the classic stories when we were dating, we're getting serious and we're talking about important issues of life. And she, she says to me, uh, well, I think I want to stay home and be a mom until the kids get into kindergarten. And I was immediately upset. I mean, I just immediately got angry because that wasn't in my game plan. I was from a small town. I was poor. I wanted to make money. I wanted my wife to work. I wanted to have the two nice cars, nice house, all the things. And I remember going back to my dorm room and hanging out with the guys and bringing this up. I'm like, guys, can you believe this? She doesn't want to work. She wants to take five or six years off, have a couple kids and stay home. And the guys looked at me, a couple of them said, well, I don't think that's such a bad idea. I think that's pretty smart. Oh, it made me mad. Oh, man, it made me mad. Well, to make a long story short, uh, God did a little work on my heart. You know, what are your priorities in life? Is it money or is it family or is it, you know, God? And so uh, make a long story short, uh, that's what she did. And in fact, she uh, didn't even go back. We had five kids. So we stretched out over 10 years. The oldest, yeah. the youngest one is 10 years younger than the oldest. So she didn't go back to work for quite a few years. But then when the, uh, you know, when the kids got in high school, she started helping me in the real estate business because I was a CPA for 21 years. And then I started helping people buy and sell businesses. So I'm a business broker, merger and acquisition guy, but our other business is real estate. We have 62 rentals and uh, or doors, and Diane is the property manager for all of those. And that didn't start until our last kid was, I think, uh, 13 or 14. Our youngest was 13 or 14. So that's kind of how we got together and a little bit of intro into me. Steve, so, so I saw two common threads there. Yeah. Uh, we both got married after our sophomore year in college, and our wife was the breadwinner in the beginning. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> right. And, yeah, uh, I don't think that's a model you want to duplicate. But, <laughs> but, but I guess I if, it's the, I, if it's the right know, person, that could work out. <laughs> well, what was funny in our in our relationship, in Diane's side of the family, you had to go to the father and formally ask to marry her. So he's a farmer and I, you know, we're at the Museum of Science Industry in Chicago with the whole family and I get him off to the John Deere uh, exhibit and they ask him if I could marry his daughter. He says, well, yeah, it's okay with me, but you really got to talk to her mom. 
Well, I talked to her mom and her mom picked up on the fact that Diane was going to support me my last two years in high college. And she goes, well, how are you guys going to make it financially? What's your plan for that? And so I'm kind of stuttering and explaining to her mom what the plan is. Diane's going to teach at a Christian school and I'm going to work part time. And well, don't you think that's going to be kind of hard? Well, yeah, but I think, you know, her mom was harder on me than her dad was. <laughs> well, and, and I, by getting married while I was still in college, I actually gave away some money because uh, my dad had died when I was in high school and I was on social security uh, money at that time. And my, uh, I have two older sisters and the younger of those two aged out of getting money in July and we got married in August. So in August, my check increased from like 300 a month to 600 a month, but, but then I don't get it. And, and I had a direct deposit and I left it in an account and never touched it. And it was, and I let the social security administration know that we were getting married and I wouldn't be eligible for that money anymore, but they kept sending it for nine months. And, and then they, so now there's 5,000 in there. And then they, yeah, then they reach out and say, oh, we observed that you were married and we want that back. And I go, well, you observed I was married because I told you. <laughs> um, and, they, and they wanted to know what kind of payment plan I could afford to pay it back. And of course, I, I would have been smart to, have, you know, today I would use that money and invest it in something. <laughs> but, but then I just was the pride of being a, at that time, 21 years old now, as I've had a birthday since they've been overpaying me, the pride of going, tell me where to send it and I'll send it back to you. Cause I hadn't been using it. I had just let it set in a bank account that I didn't use and we just wrote him a check and they were shocked that a 21 year old that had just got married was sending them 5,000 and change back all at once. But so as much as I, I grew up dirt poor too, and money was a motivator for me, part of going to college was to earn money. But I, I gave away money by getting married. I, if, if, uh, if Susan and I had just lived together while I was in college, I could have kept getting that money. <laughs> okay, so let's go there. God, let's, let's God go. might not have been as happy with that. <laughs> yeah. Let's go, let's go to the money. Let's go to money. Um, you know, you, you both, uh, you know, you're both real estate investors. Um, you both talked about money, um, you know, being, you guys were poor growing up and money was an issue. Um, and you wanted to become, you know, rich, so to speak. Um, and you got married. So where does money come into this equation in, in, um, 40 years of marriage? Because I know my wife and I, uh, fight about money. I know David and his wife fight about money. I know that money is probably the leading cause of divorce, right? So let's talk about it. Um, how how do the two of you and Steve? Let's talk. Start with you. Like, where does a money conversation come into the equation, and how do you continuously broach that subject to where uh, you're still you're still married? <laughs> well, it is a good subject because uh, one of the things that I was concerned about with Diane was she grew up on a farm, but her dad was pretty successful. He had a trust fund, and uh, for all five of their kids he put money away so she went to college free you know her dad paid for it and from what i viewed from her when i first started dating her uh i thought she was a spoiled rich kid and i was afraid that she was going to be a spender and you know i grew up poor and i was i was really concerned about that but as it turns out it was completely opposite she grew up on hard work getting up and starting at six in the morning at six years of age, gathering eggs. That's before gathering eggs was all automated. You know, later in her life, her dad put it in all these belts that automatically collected the eggs and they didn't have to do it, but she'd be out there in this chicken barn. So she had an incredible work ethic and really knew how to handle money. What, what happened is I ended up being more of the spendthrift because when I got money, well, I wanted to spend it. And she always knew you needed to save it for a rainy day because there are some days that those chickens weren't going to lay eggs and you had to have a reserve fund out there. And, uh, you know, we've had to learn. We we went, uh, man, years ago before Dave Ramsey, his precursor, there was a guy by the name of Larry Burkett. And we went and uh, took one of his classes together and learned all we could. And then when uh, Dave Ramsey came around, we learned, we learned all we could. And then I was one of these guys that I, 
you know, not only I apply that to uh, my wife and money, but to raising kids. I wasn't a very good father when we got married. I, and I, the only motivation I had was I wanted to become good at it because I knew I, my minor in college, believe this or not, my major was accounting, my minor was psychology. And it seemed uh, real common sense to me that if you beat your kids, they're going to turn out weird. So you really shouldn't beat your kids. Now, I'm not talking about a little spanking or paddle the butt. I'm talking about when people really beat their kids. So all I did was, man, back in the day, I knew I wasn't a good father. And I need. I learned how to learn. I had to learn this quick. And so I listened to Focus on the Family all I could. And if they had books, I would buy and read it. Or, you know, when I went uh, back in the day when I would run, we had these little cassette tapes and, you know, before the iPhone, I had the cassette tape on my hip listening to it while I'm running. The Walkman. Yeah. The Walkman, man. You're not a kid. <laughs> and uh, so I had to learn a lot about that. And, and we just naturally started to have a budget. But like anything, we would blow the budget, you know. <laughs> uh, usually it was me spending on her for Christmas or birthday or something or a weekend away that we couldn't afford. And it really just gets down to the money issue. You got to talk about it and you got to have like, I, I, I have a, uh, an expense fund or, you know, I call it my personal expense fund and I get a blow certain amount each month on just whatever I want. And we put that in the budget. And so does Diane. Now she doesn't, she usually saves hers for a big purchase where I tend to blow mine a little bit more frequently, <laughs> but you know, it, it, you got to give each other a little space. And, and the other thing along with money is you got to give each other forgiveness or grace because you're going to screw up. I guarantee it. And I'm going to do something that makes her mad. And it might not be instantly, but over the next week or two, she's got to forgive me. And I've got to learn to forgive her for the same thing. I mean, that I think you know, you think about why do you have a good marriage? I think part of it is just we are easily forgive each other when we screw up. And that's huge. I love that. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, well, on money, the same thing. My, my I grew up on a farm and my wife did not, but she grew up in the big city, 5,000 people. <laughs> but her, her dad was a part owner in a concrete company. And when she was a, a freshman and sophomore in college, and she got an associate's degree in computer programming. So she just went to college for two years, lived at home during that time, drove about 20 miles one way to college and come home whatever time she got done. Sometimes her last class got out at nine o'clock at night, but she cleaned her dad's offices. So she had a work ethic too, a different type of work ethic than getting up in the morning like I did as a farmer. We had a dairy farm. We were milking cows twice a day, every day, no matter what. And, um, and, and the, uh, uh, and, and there was a McDonald's added to her town while she was in high school. She was actually employee number one. She was the first person they hired. So when she was 16, she went to work at McDonald's and, and worked there and ended up being a responsible employee and planning when they had kids had parties and stuff there. She was one coordinating that. So she had a strong work ethic before we were married, even though she grew up with more money. And I certainly had that concern that her wants were going to be greater than I could provide. Um, and, and while I was in college, I did work. Uh, she, you know, she was the key breadwinner once we got married, but I still had a job. And even by the time I finished college, I was working two jobs and, uh, and going to college and playing basketball in college. And, and, uh, so I, 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 I understood the value of collecting money we have never had a problem with her spending too much I, i've told this story i think Stu, you've heard it before but susan could describe a purse she wants she could describe how what color it is and how big it is it's this size and i need at least a 14 inch strap so it'll go over my shoulder she could describe that purse so well that i can picture it and for two years she's describing that purse that she's looking for and one day we're in a store and there's the purse she's describing and she will pick it up and halfway to the cash register, she'll decide, mm, I don't know if I really need to buy this. <laughs> You've been looking at this and deciding this is what you wanted for two years in your mind. And we found it. It's a perfect fit for what you want. And and I, I have to talk her into keeping it. You know, don't, <laughs> don't put that down. Keep it. She just does not waste money uh, on, on anything. She's a big spendthrift. She will 
uh, you know, she shops at Goodwill and at Salvation Army. And so, so money has, has been an issue. And I know we've, we're told, and I've, I've been, we went through Dave Ramsey together, but we had, our kids were teenagers by the time we went through a Dave Ramsey course. Um, I, I laid aside some money for their college. Uh, we've, we've done some things to allow for money, but I am a horrible budgeter or everybody says, you know, you got to have a budget, you got to have a budget. And Steve said we had a budget, but we blew it <laughs> and follow it. Well, I don't, I don't miss my budget because I don't have one. <laughs> so, Sounds like David. And, and when, I like that style. I like that. There we go. So when, so when money gets tight, this has been throughout my life. I, when money gets tight, I just earn more. Yeah. Working harder or taking on a second job or whatever it might've taken. And, and actually at one point, had four jobs, three of them were part-time, but I, I was a high school teacher and then I was a preacher in a small church and I worked two shifts on the weekend on air on a Christian radio station. And then in the summer, I ran a recording studio at Six Flags. And so when I would leave the house at Friday morning to go teach school, I would leave there and at Friday night, go to Six Flags, come home and sleep. Uh, Saturday morning, go be on the radio station. Saturday afternoon, go to Six Flags. Sunday morning, come home and preach. Sunday afternoon, go out to Six Flags. Sunday night, be on the radio station, come home and sleep. Monday, go to school. And the only breathing room I had was after Monday night. So Monday night, work on the lesson plans for the next week. Tuesday night, work on my sermon. And Wednesday night was relax a little bit. So so I've just taken on another job, taken on another job, taken on another job. And and I always dream that, and again, I'm I'm old, so this number is gonna sound strange, but if I could just find one job that would pay me twenty thousand dollars a year and and I could give them my whole self, boy, would they get a bargain, and that would be all the money I need to live on. And at age 29, I found that job. Uh, and and then it advanced and that company ultimately led me to a point where I was making over 50,000 a year. And, and a couple of times in life, Susan also was staying home with the kids. And uh, once they got out of kindergarten, she was thinking she would go back to work, but then they, she was so involved in volunteering at the school that just didn't happen. And uh, a couple of times money was a little tight and we were talking about it and what do we do? And should she go back to work part-time? And on two different occasions, I got additional responsibilities and an additional raise at my job while we were discussing whether or not she should go back to work part-time. So we have been blessed to be a one-income earner since Susan quit her job at 23 years old when she was pregnant with Kyle. And, and, and she did take a part-time proofreading job once for a short time. But we've been a one income job family all that time, but it's been possible because she has given me the support to work the hours it takes to give the dedication it takes. I, I, I have worked way too many hours sometimes because uh, it's important to be the breadwinner, you know, and and put in the hours. But because she did not work, I could work late. I could be on an out of town trip and it didn't shortchange our kids any. Um, so we've been fortunate that I've been the key breadwinner, uh, basically since we've had kids, but it's involved her. I've said this many times, nobody has a more supportive wife than I do. You might think you do, but at best you're tied. <laughs> well, and, and Stu awesome. and I will happily, you know, if, if 20 is your number, Stu and I will yeah. happily take any kind of difference that you have there, just so you can maintain okay. this desired I, lifestyle I, that I you want to appreciate knowing that. Yeah. yeah thank, I, thank as you, I've gotten Gary. a little older, I've raised that number just a touch. Just, just a touch, it, I'm it sure. Me, I'll touch. hire him for 20,000 a year, man. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I'd love to have him for 20,000. Yeah. Hey, you know, and it's and, funny, and, the job that I got that paid me 20 was a sales job, sales manager for a local newspaper, selling the advertising and managing two other people. And 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 I did so well that I actually earned 29 my first year because they nice. paid bonuses and commissions. But that's, that's and good. that's just how much it was true that if you if one place would pay me 20 and I could give all my attention to them, they then really get their money's worth. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, but you know, I recently oh sorry, go ahead, Steve. What were you gonna say? No, go ahead. I, uh, it's interesting because I had a, a really good conversation recently, uh, with one of the men in our mastermind and, um, 
we were in in one of the groups, one of the houses we call them, we're talking about romance. And we're talking about uh, romance in the context of, you know, it was, it was a really good conversation, but how do we, you know, how do we maximize these areas of life, romance being one of them? And, and, and we had a follow-on conversation and he said he was talking to a, a counselor buddy of his who's clinically studied uh, you know, marriage and, 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 these, and, and romance and, and whatnot. And he said it, a lot of people think the biggest cause of strife in marriage is finances. This literally conversation happened a couple of days ago. And he said that the thing that's interesting and why our mastermind, he was kind of lauding the mastermind, how awesome it was because the, the men opened up in there. But he said uh, that this uh, psychologist friend of his said that the, the real they believe the real challenge is intimacy, but they don't have the data because most men are reticent to discuss their intimacy issues in with whether it's counseling or whether just admitting that there's intimacy issues because they, for a variety of reasons, some men take it as a hit. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a man because I, whatever this issue, or, you know, they, they just feel it's not a topic they're comfortable with. And so I'm curious for you guys, you don't have to get into the, you know, the juicy steamy details of, of your intimacy for the last 41 years, but I am curious, how have you, I imagine that that is a significant part of your marriage and that it wasn't always amazing. And I'm just curious how you broach that. How do you continue to, um, you know, to, to, to feed that part of the relationship and how do you, how do you get past some of these significant barriers with your spouse, uh, to to continue to thrive in that area of marriage as well and jerry well, well, well child rearing takes a toll on that because you you go to bed exhausted and and if and if in in our family when i was the one working long hours and susan was the one caring for the kids even though i came home i might have taken the kids out to eat or something to give her a break, but still she's been caring for the kids all day and, and not just paying attention to them, but cleaning up messes and doing laundry. And so at the, at the age when your kids need everything from you, you, you just fall into bed and you're thankful for every moment of sleep you can get. And so intimacy certainly takes a back seat in those cases. It, it's a, it's exhaustion and you and you, you almost have to feel like I've got, I've got to set aside a time for it. You got to find time. And I, and I grew up on a dairy farm and you could never be away for more than 12 hours because you milk the cows every 12 hours. So we didn't grow up taking vacations. Uh, going somewhere and getting away was was foreign to me. And we still don't do a lot of that. We're doing a lot more now in the last two or three years. But but. Uh, so, so it, intimacy certainly took a back seat during the time that we were raising kids. And then once the kids are grown and can take care of themselves and now empty nesters, uh, this, this, it has come back more than it had. So if you're in that middle range and you got toddlers, you got, uh, you know, 10 year old kids that are taxing all of your time, I tell you, there's, there's a bright spot coming, you know, get, get those kids where they can take care of themselves and you're not as exhausted and you find the time and energy to be there. And I remember one time I was driving in my truck and my oldest son was with me and they were on a radio station and it was coming up on uh, Valentine's day. And the uh, host was asking for guys to call in with ideas, things they did that were romantic for their wife, whether they did them a Valentine's day or not. And Kyle said, oh, dad, you should call, you should call. And at the moment, I go blank. I'm going, well, I, I can't come up with a good example. But then I thought about it for a moment. I did call, did get on the air and shared. And, and there's a, a particular story that I shared then that I've done. But, you know, Susan does not like flowers. Um, and, and part of why she does not like flowers is her dad was unfaithful to her mom more than once. And this is public knowledge. I'm not, not everybody in their small town knows. So if this, if your podcast reaches enough of their small town, somebody may learn this, but, but her, her dad was unfaithful to her mom multiple times and would come home with flowers or jewelry, you know? And so Susan views a gift of flowers or jewelry as what did you do wrong? Um, so Susan's favorite flower is the flower and Krispy Kreme donuts, 
<laughs> she <laughs> she nice. likes it when I when I bring home donuts. Nice. You know? And uh, but but she likes a Heath bar candy bar. So one year at Valentine's Day, I gave her two dozen long stemmed Heath bars. That's <laughs> I, awesome. I got a bouquet and got those wires that plant artificial plants go on. Put some little flowery and baby breaths, green stuff in there, and taped twenty four Heath bars to those wires and brought her a bouquet of Heath bars, which sat on our piano for a month while she ate them a little bit at a time. You know? And so your flowers sit up there and die off while the Heath bar bouquet is getting less and less because you have to, you have to keep the on Heath giving. bars are disappearing. But, but I guess the key here is to find out what she likes because what she likes and what motivates her is not likely the same things that I like and that motivate me. And that is one of my key things in us having a healthy relationship is sometimes doing something that she enjoys. And Stu and I could beat up on Steve. We have, we know one of his secrets or one of, of Diane's secrets, but sometimes doing something that she enjoys that you don't necessarily enjoy is, is meaningful to her. And, and for there to be true intimacy, we can't just turn it on as we jump into bed. You, you you have to be showing that you care for her and love her and you're interested in what matters to her during the day. And if you've done that right, you reach the point where she's the one who initiates action when you jump into bed. But you've, but you've got to put that effort into doing things throughout the day that are pleasing to her. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Jerry. Uh, I read a book in my 20s. We probably married one or two years, and it was and it actually was in a men's group at my church, and it was entitled "Sex Begins in the Kitchen," and it was the whole philosophy is that if your relationship is right with your wife, and you learn what she likes and what help she needs, is that uh, sex will take care of itself. That usually the, when sex is not going well, it's because the relationship is not going well in some other fashion. And a lot of times that's when they're going through with all the young kids, they're just so tired. They need some help. I remember several times I called Diane before I'd come home and she'd say, bring a pizza. Tonight is pizza night. I am so tired. I need to just, you know, and other times I would say tonight they're yours. I'm getting out of the house. I'm going shopping. I need to break. And, uh, you know, uh, another thing we did real early in our marriage was was uh, go to a marriage encounter weekend. And if they'd have told me what it was before I went, I might not have gone. But it was such a great weekend because they gave you questions. And what they forced you to do was you wrote out your answer to the question and your wife wrote out her answer to the question, and then you'd come together and talk about it. And it was amazing the difference in communication. It's like, you know, she was seeing the world through pink sunglasses, and I was seeing the world through blue sunglasses, and we weren't even getting together on several issues. And, and learning how to communicate like that was, and even to today, still today, uh, there's a book out there by the uh, by uh, Emerson Eckridge called Love and Respect, and it's based on the scripture verse that men, you're supposed to love your wives, and wives, you're supposed to respect your husbands. Well, when we get off kilter, when we get on the crazy cycle, it's because I'm responding to her without love, and she's responding to me without respect, and so we just end up in a little argument or a big argument. And I always say I like arguments because I like making up, but you know that's that's <laughs> a joke. That's not the truth. Um, you know, you you just um, you know you gotta communicate in a way and help each other. And and when I get in the biggest trouble in my marriage, it's when I'm selfish and I'm just thinking about me, and I'm not thinking about Diane. Or I you know um, I want to do this, and I don't think about what Diane wants to do. And the more I defer and and find out what she wants and what her needs are, the better the relationship gets. We just got back from a week of vacation, and Diane and I and Diane said that was a great vacation. And I said, "What'd you like about it?" And she goes, 
because you just focused on me the whole week. I didn't have to compete with your work. I didn't have to compete with phone calls. It was just you and I for a week, and it was awesome. Well, so cool. we we tried early in our marriage to do that at least one night a week, have a date where we turned off the phone, and uh, or the only phone call we would answer if it was the babysitter calling, uh, and, and we tried to get away just to be together and talk and catch up and reconnect because when you got five kids, she's super busy, I was super busy, and you just got to take some time away. I, I The other thing I'm big into was uh, not only did we do it once a week for three, four hours, but uh, we also would try to do it at least once a, a year, get away on a vacation, no kids, just Diane and I for seven days. Mm. And when the kids were at home, that was the best week of the year always, mm. you know, because we could reconnect. We could talk. We didn't, we weren't interrupted by the kids. It was just fabulous. And so, you know, a lot of times you can't do that pressure of money. I remember taking the kids to uh, my mother and father-in-law's house for a week and then us going to my mom and dad's house because they were gone for basically a free week away. And, you know, we would you get creative, get your friends to watch your kids a week and then you watch their friends a week, your, their kids a week. Find a way to get together and reconnect. Yeah, and we had to do that with friends because my work and my ambition brought me to Florida in a job that was a thousand miles away from where both of our parents lived and had no family here. If it weren't yeah. for church, we'd have had nobody to lean on to to watch our kids. We we dealt with some of what I know you've gone through, Stu, is who where do I leave my kids? Who do I trust my kids with? Yeah. Uh, is uh, you know, where, where how can I get away because I I'm not comfortable if I get away and I don't know for sure that my kids are safe. And, and one of the, uh, one of the mistakes I made is I, I did work in some high paying, high pressure W2 jobs. And then I drive home in traffic and I'm frustrated by the time I get home. And I just, I want, get, give me 30 minutes to just relax and unwind. Okay. But she's been dealing with the same kind of pressures at home with the kids and she's happy I'm home and wants me to take the kids and give her 30 minutes to relax and unwind. And it took me a while to get that. It didn't happen in a week or a month, but, you know, maybe over a year or a little more to realize. And even if it means once I pulled into our subdivision and I'm no longer fighting traffic, drive really slow for the last two miles home, take a couple deep breaths and just relax myself so that when I get home, I'm, I'm, I unwind and, and reach that point of as I pull in the driveway to remind myself that where I'm going now is more important than where I've been. And that's tough for men because as men, our identity is wrapped up in our vocation and our success. And so to, to acknowledge that I'm my, my family and my wife are way more important than my career. That, that didn't come naturally that I, we've probably been married 25, 30 years before I could comfortably say that. And that's huge. I mean, there, there are a lot of men that, that we connect with and, you know, we're kind of in our mid early forties and, you know, at the, at the height of our like earning years. And, and, and just like you said, Jerry, like that's where our identity is, you know, and David and I had a, a big transition really. Our identity was being in the military, being an officer in the military and being a leader in the military. And then one day that all goes away. And now we're like, entrepreneurs and we have nobody to lead and we're like oh man this identity thing is kind of a, a tough thing um and and to say to yourself that i'm going home to my family which is the most important thing is huge like that that's like a light bulb moment yeah every I, man I was older hear. than you guys i was older than you guys are now when that came to me so maybe i can give you that a little bit younger it's huge it's huge, man. And, you know, one yeah. thing that I did notice back to this romance question, one thing that I've noticed about the two of you, um, when we've gone on these, uh, life and air retreats and you bring your spouses every single time we leave to like go somewhere, both of you have noticed, hold your spouse's hand. Yep, we do. And, and, and I, I do a terrible job of that to just grab <laughs> my spouse's hand, my bride's hand and just, just hold it while we walk. Right. Just going somewhere. And that like little, little, like that little thing I know would mean a huge deal 
to to my spouse, um, but I don't do it, and I don't know why. And so I've Su- I've noticed that about the two of you. And you guys, well, thank you. And Susan and I have had to adjust that because as we've got older, I'm, my hands are bigger than hers, and she's got little arthritis. And we used to hold, you know, the traditional way that a couple would hold hands, and we can't anymore because that hurts her fingers. But at least she felt comfortable enough telling me that. So we hold in a different way. So that that is just so ingrained in what we do that it is that we've had to adjust how we do it as we aged even, you know? So the point is is you're being intentional about it. it, Yeah. It is something that we meant to do. And, and I, you know, I open the door for her, you know, walk around the car and open the door, even when it's raining and she goes, I can get it on my own. I know you can, but I, you know, it's, it's just a, a choice that I've made. And I want to piggyback on something Steve said too. This is one of my most important things. In fact, it's the only thing I wrote down that I wanted to be sure to share with yeah, you guys do. today. Um, and and uh, I think I shared this with you, Stu, so you might've been planning to bring this up, but Ephesians 525 uh, and, and the, um, and, and if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, I'm going to relate this where you can just take it as a man and not take it as God's word. But Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And you put all, all of that into context, and it's about wives to show respect and to your husbands and so on. But but uh, And as I mentioned earlier, that one time when I had four jobs, I for six years in my life, uh, for seven years in my life, I was a preacher. Never intended to be a preacher. Uh, didn't, didn't set out to. I believe every kid that grows up in the church ought to consider it. I considered it and it wasn't for me. But while I was a junior in college, a church near the college needed a preacher and I filled in for him. And then I filled in and stayed and stayed and they were small enough. They couldn't afford a full-time preacher. And they'd had lots and lots of guys come and go just like me. They'd been there for a year and then they graduate college and then move on. And I got another job in the area and stayed as their part-time preacher and stayed there seven years. And, and it was actually good for the church. I grew to a point where they needed a full-time guy. It wasn't me and I moved on. But so I've, I've preached some, and this is something I've shared over and over in that and in a men's ministry that I lead and uh, used to lead in a in, in our local church. But if there is anything wrong, and this is, this is re- being recorded, okay, man, if there is anything wrong in a relationship, it's the man's fault. Okay, and I mean that with my whole heart because put that in context. Husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Her. Christ was willing to die for the church. And so, men, if you want to take the Bible out of this, if you just want to take it as a as advice, men love your wife enough that if you if you had to, you'd be willing to die for her. Okay. If you love your wife that much and show her that on a regular basis. If you're not getting along, eventually she's going to come around. Because if you continue to show that kind of love and dedication, how could she not warm up to it? And and Christ continued to love the church that way, even when the church rejected him. And each one of us individually are the church as well as the church as a body. So even to the individuals who Christ died for and they have not accepted him, he still loves them enough. He's willing to die for them. And so they if he keeps doing that, ultimately people are going to see it. And I know people have all kinds of faith flaws and they don't see it for whatever reasons, but in a man and woman relationship, men, if you keep caring for your wife enough that you would die for her, she will eventually reciprocate. And if, and even if she doesn't, you're not released from that command. Hi, Jerry, that's a great, I'm glad you brought that up because that is so true. And the one thing that I take away from that, in addition to what you said, is love is a verb. And if you remember what a verb is, a verb shows action. You can say, I love you all I want. But when you start showing it and doing it, you, you'll, you'll improve your relationship. You got to show it. Open the door. Hold her hand. Wash dishes. Oh, man, maybe I don't like to wash dishes. Or help do the laundry once in a while, or you know, watch mowing the lawn, whatever it is, help take some things off her plate and show her love. I mean, one of the time my, my you talk about Heath bars. My wife is Snickers bars. 
So a lot of times when I'm going through Home Depot to get supplies, I'll just grab a snicker bar and give it to Diane. I'm showing love. I'm taking action. And she teases me on, oh, I got to keep my weight down. I'm like, don't bring, when I bring you a Snickers bar, it's okay. Because I'm saying I love you. And, you know, just find a way, whatever it is, man. Love is a verb. It takes action. You can't just say it. You got to do it. And I don't know what it is in your relationship, but find out what it is and do it continually. You know, and I think the other thing about using the analogy, analogy of Jesus in the church, think about how Jesus forgave us of our sins. I need to forgive my wife when she screws up, you know. When she asked me to watch Hallmark instead of a football game, yeah. <laughs> oh, my word, that's a tough one. Now, usually we we tape them both so we can watch them both at different times. Yeah. And I'm blessed because my wife, my wife actually likes to watch football with me. Um, but, you know, there's always something that, you know, one of the, I asked Diane on our week vacation, what do you want to do? She goes, honey, you know what I really want to do? I'm like, oh, here it's coming. She said, I'd like to take an afternoon and go to uh, secondhand stores and go to antique stores. And I'm like, what? No, I knew she, and I said, honey, that's fine. Well, guess what? You spend six hours doing that. You get home, intimacy just comes natural. Yeah. And why? Because <laughs> you invested six hours in saying, I love you, doing something she knew I didn't like doing, but I did it with a smile and had fun with it. And so sometimes you just, you know, giving and the verb love, man, you got to show it. That makes a big difference in your relationship. Yeah, and identify what that thing is, because the thing that motivates me, you know, if you're familiar with the love languages, you know, my my first one is physical touch. I didn't ask for that one, but it is, you know, it's it's, it's all guys, Gary. Come on, it's a really but, short book when uh, when the men are reading it. Man. Yeah, yeah that's right. yep, there it is. Yeah, OK, got it. OK. <laughs> and and uh, and I suppose my second one is words of affirmation telling me I did a good job. Well, that that would be Susan's second one, too, is words of affirmation. But her first one is uh, uh, acts of service and little things like we, we run the dishwasher. You know, Steve mentioned doing the dishes. We run the dishwasher at night and get up in the morning. And there's clean dishes in the dishwasher in less than a minute. I can put those away. And that means so much to her that they're put away. And she now whatever's dirty in the sink from last night can be put into the dishwasher immediately. That's a, a, a minute out of my day, not even every day. And it means the world to her. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, you know, and I appreciate you guys, you know, being, being honest and transparent and giving some, some uh, actionable tips. And and I love that, you know, the, that love is a verb. And I think if we were just more intentional about taking action to serve others, to love, especially the priority, because a lot of times our priority relationships are the ones that suffer the most from, from our lack of, of giving and our lack of love and, 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 and taking action. So man, I really appreciate it. I, I, uh, you know, taking notes and we'll listen to this again. And I just think that, you know, it brings so much hope also to, to, you know, men like Stu and I, to see men like you guys who we respect as businessmen and, and entrepreneurs and investors, but also, and most importantly, as family men, as, as men who can, you, you live the example of how to grow and foster and be, you know, have a 41 year marriage and continuing strong and, and also do the things that we mistakenly identify ourselves as, as being, you know, extremely important priority things, which really are not. It's, it's these relationships, it's the kids and what they see us doing and how they see us honoring, you know, our wives and honoring them. And dude, I, I love it. Love it. So thank you guys yeah. for. Well, and I, and I got a story to tell you to show that my wife is forgiving. Okay. It's not just that I got to be forgiving. Uh, there's something that uh, I learned in the 35th year of our marriage that I was doing wrong. <laughs> Okay. And, and I've been doing years? it. I've been doing it wrong the whole 35 years, and she had stayed with me. Okay. And I, I brought an object lesson. This this is a bag of Doritos from the other room. Okay. So when when I'm done eating Doritos, you know, I know that you can't leave them open. So you gotta you gotta fold them down and clip them with your chip clip or whatever brand of clothespin you use. 
that's wrong. That's not how you do that. You have to fold them over and over and over and get all the excess air out of them. And that will keep them fresher. I don't believe that, but I, for, for but 35 I, years, she's gone in for, after you and yeah, she's them going down, down and it. rolling them all the way down. <laughs> and, and she just thinks I know how to do it and I'm choosing to do it wrong. <laughs> and, and she's correcting me silently for 35 years. And one day somehow it came up. And so I've learned how to properly, we both love junk food. I just didn't know how to keep it fresh. <laughs> so, there you go. Now, you know, you, yeah. can, you can teach an old dog new tricks. That's hey, right. Can you, I can. Give you guys, can I give you guys one thing that I learned a long time ago? It wasn't that long ago. It was kind of like what Jerry said in year 35. I listen to podcasts pretty frequently, especially when I run or when I'm driving. And this guy challenged us. It was someday in August, and if I did the math, I could figure it out. He said, now, whether you're the man or the wife in your relationship, I want you to do a gratitude journal for the other person. And for the next 90 days, I want you to write down one thing every day you are thankful for in your spouse. It might be the way they comb their hair or what you know they fix for dinner or the fact that they do open the door for you or whatever it was that day, find something every day, one thing a day for 90 days, and then give it to your spouse on Thanksgiving. Well, I did that. And uh, I can't tell you the look on my wife's face and how much that meant to her that for 90 days, I thought to write down something. And ever since then, I have kept a gratitude journal, not just on Diane, but on my life in general and tried to come up with one thing I'm thankful for every day. And it's amazing how it changes your outlook on life because it's so easy to be self-centered. It's so easy to be selfish. It's so easy to take your spouse for granted. Hey, it's Friday night. We're having sex, man. We always have sex on Friday night. Well, you know what? Maybe not. And, and then if not, I get upset about it. If I find a reason, you know, gr just being in a state of gratitude and thankfulness, it amazes me how much it improves our relationship. And not just only for her, but other thankful things. Like, what a great sunset. Or I was up running this morning. What a great sunrise we had, you know. I'm grateful that guy saw me running and didn't back out over the, he actually saw me when he's backing out his driveway because some people don't see me. And I got to stop or go a different way or something. And I tell you, you do a gratitude for your spouse for 90 days. It'll show you things about your spouse that are awesome that you didn't even recognize. Just neat. I love awesome. it. I love it. Um, I'm going to accept your challenge and, uh, I'm going to take that challenge and then challenge, uh, all the men in, in storehouse mastermind to do the same. So, uh, we're actually talking, um, like in 30 minutes, so I'm going to bring it up. So thank you. Um, I love it. Um, guys, this has been amazing. Uh, we could, I, I know we could probably talk for another hour, uh, especially with Jerry because Jerry yeah. likes to tell stories. Yeah. Um, but, uh, this has been amazing. I've like David said, I've taken <laughs> a full page of notes, um, and you know, some of the stuff that you guys are talking about, the, you know, love is a verb and, and just pouring in and taking action and, and being intentional. Um, this is, this is stuff that, that David and I are trying to do daily and we're, and we're trying to get, you know, the men in storehouse mastermind to do it. Um, I am so thankful and appreciative to be, uh, in a group with the two of you, um, meeting every other week and, and, and just getting amazing advice from you too. Um, I'm grateful for that, Steve. Uh, so thank you. Um, hey guys and gals, um, reach out to Darian, Steve. They are, they are amazing men. I'll put, uh, if you guys don't mind, I'll, can I put uh, contact information in, in the Absolutely. show? Absolutely. Go right ahead. All right. Absolutely. Um, and, um, uh, Dave, you got anything else? No, no. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. I think, uh, your words will be a blessing to, to our listeners and, and, uh, no, thank you. Thank you for the example you set. And, you know, Stu told me a lot about you guys and we've taken thing, action on things you guys don't even know um, that, that we're using that, that he's gotten from me in the group. So thank you so much. You guys are awesome. 
Thank you. We appreciate it. You're welcome. We enjoyed it. All right, guys and gals. Hey, reach out to these two men. Um, Share this. If you like this episode, tell somebody about it. Uh, Tell somebody about Filling the Straws podcast. Screenshot it. Share something on on your social media um, and uh, and reach out. Um, And most important, go fill the storehouse. Yeah, make it a great day, friends. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for listening to Filling the Storehouse. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and share it with someone you love. And if you really felt inspired, leave a five-star review so we can continue to grow and help other Christian entrepreneurs fill their storehouse. If you're interested in creating financial freedom through real estate investing, be sure to check out our website at storehouse310turnkey.com. We'd love to serve you through our platform of building the kingdom. Just click on the contact link and we'll reply to you as soon as we can. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now go for your storehouse and make it a great day.